Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Now, coming up in just a moment, a conversation with Democratic state lawmaker Shelley Hutchinson on changes to Georgia law regarding monuments related to the Confederate States of America and another bill to protect certain government statues and other commemorative symbols. Oh, and speaking of changes to state laws. Our vote is powerful. If our vote was not powerful, they would not be trying to take it away. And the same thing that we were fighting for 55 years ago or our ancestors were fighting for 55 years ago, we're having to deal with the same today. These voter suppression laws have got to stop. That's Ariel Singleton leading a virtual rally in March at the state capitol this weekend. Now, she was voicing opposition to the dozens of Republican-led proposed changes to Georgia's voting laws. And many of these measures will be argued this week. This comes with crossover day, which is not far away. Now, coming up in a moment, we'll hear the details of a report of a report from the Brennan Center, which finds that these bills are part of a nationwide trend. We are seeing now over 165 bills to restrict voting access in very harsh ways, and particularly focusing on limiting vote by mail and other methods of voting beyond polling place voting. Now, all that's coming up in just a moment. But first, Georgia Governor Brian Kemp says tens of thousands of doses of Johnson & Johnson's COVID-19 vaccine should be available to Georgians this week. As you heard, the Food and Drug Administration authorized the the one-dose shot on Saturday. Now, the governor says the State Department of Public Health is planning to make 83,000 doses of the vaccine available. So far, more than 1.2 million Georgians have already received their first doses of the two-shot vaccines from Pfizer and Moderna. And this month marks one year since COVID-19 testing began in Georgia. And tomorrow, it's one year since the first COVID-19 cases were confirmed here in the state. Since then, more than 800,000 people throughout Georgia have tested positive for the coronavirus. To be exact, the number now stands at 818,516. And just yesterday alone, 1,500 new cases were confirmed. And sadly, 15,068 Georgians have died due to the virus. Now, this week, we'll focus on conversations about the impact COVID-19 has had on our state one year later. We'll talk about how the pandemic has affected so many aspects of our daily lives. And we'll begin all this with WABE Health reporter and host of the podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? Sam Whitehead will join me, as well as President and CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, Raphael Bostic. And we're going to take your questions and comments throughout the week as well. So here's the question. What has this last year been like for you or your household? Let me know. Email me, rose at wabe.org. And also on Friday, we'll ask the same question as we open up the phone lines. This is Closer Look. Support for WABE comes from 
the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. It is the nation's largest Confederate memorial. The Stone Mountain Confederate Memorial displays three favorite members of the Confederate States of America, General Robert E. Lee, Stonewall Jackson, and Jefferson Davis. Now, this massive above-ground monument carved into the granite mountain was actually paid for by the KKK in 1914. Those who support it see it as a symbol of Southern American history and heritage. Those against it see it as an ode to white supremacy. So what to do with the Confederate-related monuments, statues, and other memorials? Well, that continues to be highly debated. It's not new to Georgia's General Assembly. And join me now to talk about two House bills she's sponsoring, Georgia House Representative Shelley Hutchinson from Snellville, who represents District 107. And Representative Hutchinson, thank you for taking the time. I know it's a busy day. I missed a busy week for you all. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Before we get into House Bill 237 and 238, there was some drama down at State Capitol on Friday. I understand several lawmakers that were participating in a protest and a sit-in. Can you take us through what happened? Yes. Yeah, so we had some protesters who were peacefully protesting in the Capitol, inside the Capitol. And we had a few of our state representatives that went down to support them. So they were walking along with them. Um, the Capitol Police was using a bullhorn to make them move out the way and, and to leave. Um, one of our representatives, Representative uh, Park Cannon, mm-hmm. got in front of the bullhorn. So one of the uh, state, another state police officer who was did not have a mask on, grabbed her and shoved her to the side. Um, I don't have to tell you or your listeners probably how outrageous that was or or, or a violation of her personal space and safety. Um, And she was just asking for an apology and he refused. So um, a good majority of the Democratic caucus sat on the stairs with her until, uh, well, the day ended without him apologizing to her. But we, we missed that afternoon sitting on the steps to show our solidarity with Representative Cannon. And this is not the first time the police, um, Capitol Police has manhandled one of our members. We had Nakima Williams Mm -hmm. that was arrested um, while we were in session for being out with the protesters. So uh, we, you know, at some point you have to put your foot down um, and that's what we were doing. Now I want to be clear for our listeners as well. This officer, did he, grab her by her arm and shove her he yes forcefully pushed he her grabbed out the her. Way. Mm-hmm. he grabbed her by her arm and he pushed her um not in a like a jerk but just kind of shoved her to the side um but he had her hand his hands on her and for and there's a there's a recording of it and um had her hands first shouldn't have had her hands on her second mm-hmm. he he was holding on to her far too long so um it was it was a violation it was a violation to her personal uh, safety, 
her uh, her space. And if you violate one of us, you violate all of us. And this use, as you see it, you were joining the other protesters who were, as you call it, peacefully protesting. They were just sitting. They weren't. Were they? Were there any capital policies, rules, or laws that were being violated? No. So we were we were out of session. The House was out of session. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Senate was in session, so they were cr- trying to move them out or at least quiet them down because they said that they were getting too loud. Now I we have you know, friends on each side and they said they didn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. So um, the argument is, you know, they, were they disruptive? Were they not? Did they have the authority to move them the way they did? Have you all, has anyone filed a complaint, an official complaint? What's the process here? Sure. Um, I'm not sure. I would have, uh, it, if, if, if it was, it would be Representative Cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not aware of it yet, though. That doesn't mean it hasn't happened or it will it, or it will or will not. I just haven't heard of it yet. So you all want an apology? Yes, just an apology. Um, I mean, even without the mask, we have strict guidelines here. That's the only reason why we agreed to, well, that's the only reason why we feel somewhat safe coming down is it's mandatory. You have to wear a mask and get tested. He wasn't wearing a mask. So um, for a lot of reasons, he was in the wrong. And we we would still like an apology. Were any other officers wearing masks? Yes. All but the one mm-hmm. that I could see. Let's get your thoughts. I do want to get to House Bills 237 and 238, but you all have a lot of bills that are related to proposed changes to Georgia's as they relate to voting laws. Just your overall reflection on it's more than it's, it's dozens and dozens of these measures. Uh, Representative Hutchison, what do you make of that? So, um, in fact, they are debating it right now. Um, the debate should probably last on this type of bill three to four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an omnibus bill, which means they took a whole bunch of bills and just stuck it in this one. Mm-hmm. So all of the things, uh, I mean, just all of the worst things you can think of to try to suppress the vote. Um, I think one of them is sending in a copy of your license with an absentee ballot. Not everybody has a printer. Um they have getting rid of Sunday votes, mm-hmm. getting um, of the um, voting by mail without an excuse. Um, I, I think the thing, the one that bothers me the most is the one closing it down on Sundays, the souls to the souls to the polls day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, it's 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 just really obvious if you've been following any part of what has happened since November third until now. Um, all the calls, all the, the lies that were spread about our voting system and how insecure it was. But our governor and our secretary of state spent a lot of time telling people that this was a safe vote. They counted and recounted and audited over and over again. And the, the results did not change. There is no lapse in our security from mm-hmm. what they're telling us. Yet they have introduced this bill to re- just to revamp the whole the whole process and particularly now with covid and you know we have different strains coming along why would you tell people that they can't vote by mail when that might be the safest opportunity alternative mm-hmm. so you know they are it's a very self-serving vote um they're they see that when we have all these options to vote their side doesn't win and they say it out loud um mm-hmm. so it's not a secret 
Well, let's get to some other measures that has always been highly debated, too, in in the Georgia legislature. Let's start with House Bill 237. There are actually two that you're sponsoring, 237 and 238. For our listeners, let's talk about the difference between the two. Let's start with House Bill 237. Okay, so 237 would make it illegal for any Confederate monuments to be on public property. Mm -hmm. Um, In particular, no taxpayer funds should go towards maintaining monuments to the confederacy um they should be taken down because it's just it's a visual it's almost like a visual telling you you need to stay in your place well give me an example Um, of of one uh that you can talk about so um other than stone mountain which i know everyone knows about and that's probably the most famous and the biggest in the country that's uh the biggest confederate monument in the country but um the one that is closer to home for me mm-hmm. is I represent um, part, a part of Gwinnett County mm-hmm. and I raised my children in Lawrenceville. On the Lawrenceville Square, there was a man, his name was Charlie Hale. He was lynched on the corner at the courthouse mm-hmm. and they took a picture and they sold the picture as a souvenir. So if you Google Charlie Hale, the picture of his death is all over the place. Mm-hmm. He, there's no monument. There's no memorial. There's no sign for him. But five feet away from where he was lynched, there was a Confederate monument. And the the buildings surrounding the courthouse have not changed at all. So if you look at the picture of when he was lynched, that's online for anyone to see. In 1911, Mm -hmm. the backdrop with the the buildings in the background, those buildings have not been touched. They're the same. It's it's a visual of this man lost his life on this corner. There is nothing that memorializes that. But there was a Confederate monument that was put up in the 90s. So it wasn't like it was put up during the Civil War. It was put up in the 90s by the Sons of the Confederacy. So um, that one was, that one to me just really had to go. Um, and it did. We went through the process and we were able to get that taken down. Um, they, uh, and they took it down pro- about two or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so that felt good. That was a win. Um, but it's just one of many. So we have to keep, keep working, particularly for Stone Mountain. Let me ask you this. What do you propose to do with Stone Mountain? Well, there's a lot of um, suggestions. Mm-hmm. If, if it if it were an easy and cheap thing to do, I, my preference would be sandblasting, but I don't think it'll be easy or cheap. Um, what others have um, suggested, and I like this idea, is to um, plant greenery around it. Like there's special kind of flora that would thrive mm-hmm. in that place. And that would eventually nature would would cover it for us. I mean, like, um, and I like that idea, like kudzu or something like that, which grows everywhere. Yeah, in Georgia. yeah, everywhere. What, yeah. What's your nature response? Probably. I'm sorry, Representative Hutchinson. What's your response to someone that says, first of all, how do you define what should be identified as a Confederate monument or memorial, and who's to say that it it doesn't necessarily identify with white supremacy or racism how do you respond to that because i know you've heard it before um it's i've heard it before but it's just i mean 
it doesn't make sense to me. I don't, that argument really doesn't hold water at all. Mm-hmm. The, the, the per, I mean, the reason why the, the Confederate army was fighting was to keep slavery, to keep human beings in bondage. They were giving their lives for this because they wanted to keep slavery that bad. They were willing to lose their sons and daughters to send them off to war for this. Um, I, I, and I don't, I, I can't see that argument doesn't even mm-hmm. come close to, to holding water in my opinion. What are your thoughts on being able to have some type of recognition or a marker or some type of, of placement that, that contextualizes all of this? Because I know we have a few of them around the city of Atlanta. Um, that also talks about whether it's in definition or an explanation or who these folks were. Are, are you in favor of that? I would be in favor of something like um, like some of the Holocaust museums. That was a horrific period in history mm-hmm. where millions of people lost their lives. And there are Holocaust monuments. I've been to a few. They're heart-wrenching. But it puts it in context. This was a horrible thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And this is, what this, this is what this period of history was, was about. If you put up a Civil War museum and you put it in context and you want to put all these statues in there, I would not have a problem with it. But for if you consider their school buses that drive past that monument in Stone Mountain every day. So as school children learn who these people are and what they were fighting for, what does I mean, the message that is tell, telling to kids that we really hoped that you would be in, you know, in, enslaved right now, but since you're not, I guess we'll let you go to school. I mean, it's just it's a subliminal message that that children absorb. They're sponges. Do you? And I think. It, it, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go finish. Um, I, I just think that you know, the environment that you raise a child in is that's the product you're going to get as an adult. So if you're raising children where everything around them is telling them that we really wish you'd still be in shackles, I don't think that's the best learning environment. Right now, there is a movement, even in Mosley Park here in Atlanta, um, to rename that park. Um, it is named after someone, really, I, I, I'm not sure if it was a general, but someone identified with the uh, Confederacy. If we, if folks say if we start doing this, then we have to change a lot of streets, a lot of parks, a lot of this, that, and the third. Are you in favor of that? I am, and I'll tell you why. We are in a deeply divided country, deeply divided. We can, I mean, everyone, everyone has lost friends over this divide in politics. And the, you know, we are at a place where we need to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, even if you look at back at any society that had to overcome division, war, Um, say uh, South Africa, for example, they had to go through a process, some process um, that resembles um, truth and reconciliation. Mm -hmm. The truth is these people fought for us, for our families to be in shackles. That's the truth. The reconciliation part would be renaming schools and streets. Mm -hmm. It's inconvenient, 
But I think it, it depends on, you know, how bad you want this country to heal. Because if you, if you insist, if everyone insists to keep these monuments up, to send the wrong message to people, particularly kids is what I'm worried about, mm-hmm. um, there's no healing that takes place there. That means you're okay with where we are as a country. Reverend, At some point, the reconciliation is going to st- gonna have to start somewhere, and I think that's a great place to start. Representative Hutchison, the General Assembly has been through this before. There's been so many measures. How optimistic are you that this would even get to a, a, a vote? It's not. I'm not optimistic. It's just not going to make it for a vote. Um, in the, so why the climate, introduce it you know, when you know that? Um, because the conversation needs to be had and it needs to stay relevant. Um, I introduced it at the last session. I introduced it, introduced it this session. I'll introduce it next session. And the truth is, uh, the way things work down here is it takes years and years for to get any bills passed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's part of the process that, you know, even great bills may take a couple of years to, to pass. Um, and that's what, and I knew this was for the long haul. Mm-hmm. And I know that the dynamics of what, where we are in the, in the legislature right now, um, this type of bill wouldn't pass anyway. It, we just don't have the support for it, but the pendulum always swings. Mm-hmm. And with every, every vote that we have, every election that we have, the pendulum will swing. And I'm waiting for it to swing back here, back to the right side of history, and it will pass. Um, it may not pass this year, but I will be like a dog with a bone with it. So um, I will keep on it until it does. Let's talk about House Bill 238. That one was, um, that one is, it repeals what, uh, I think it was Senate Bill 11, mm-hmm. and it passed in 2019. Mm-hmm. And it gave extra protections to Stone Mountain and Confederate monuments. So that bill just repeals mm-hmm. House Bill 11. Um that was that that was a very controversial bill when it came to the floor here, and of course it passed on party lines. Um, so that would be the two bills together would repeal the extra protections that were given in um, 2019, and it would make all Confederate monuments illegal. So if if the bigger one passes, it would trump uh, 238, which is fine. Um, but the, that it's the two. It's the two messages we want to send, that this was not cool, and the whole thing is just not right. Um, did you have, yeah, but that's the basic. Did you have any support on the Republican side? Is it fair to say that this is strictly down party lines, that Democrats are in favor and Republicans are not? Is that fair? That is fair. So no, so no, no so no Republican member of the state legislature is in support of either of these measures. None, no. What does no, they say to you? At all. What do they say through, to me? Yeah, oh, through your nothing. lens. <laughs> uh, they say nothing about this. Um, I think they. It, it's it's kind of like a proverbial pat on the on the head, like "Oh, you're so cute." Um, but this is not a conversation. What do you mean by that? That's, Explain that for me, Representative. What you so just said. you know, it's like a lot of if you if you watch, there are very 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 few bills that are passed by a Democrat in a trifecta state where Republicans have the governor, 
the Senate and the House. So even introducing bills, we know it's a long shot. And to introduce a bill like this that addresses such a controversial issue in society in general that could potentially change how we interact with each other um, and put us on a path of recovery, they're not interested in that. Um, So they pretty much just ignore me like, you know, you're cute. Go, uh, just go to the side like a puppy. You have also introduced legislation that would establish February 21st as John Lewis Day. Um, this is House Bill yeah. 240. How's that looking? Yes. Uh, not. It's not looking at all. Um, keep in mind that we have one member of the House that said out loud around his the time of his death that he was hit over the this is a direct quote he was hit over the head 50 years ago and he's been riding that ever since i I recall that 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 statement being made so um i don't expect that to move this year uh, but i will be working with um his family and his um organization to give give it more momentum next year so eventually i hope that one will pass um, if not, we there's lots of people who are trying to um, trying to honor him in lots of ways, and you know he was he was a national treasure. So I'm sure we will have a lot of a lot of honors for him. I just, I personally would like to see the holiday. And by the way, that was Georgia Representative Tommy Benton, who I believe was also stripped of one of his uh, committee leadership yes. positions after those comments. Uh, Representative Hutchinson, why did you want to become a state lawmaker? <laughs> um, I didn't actually. I um, I <laughs> was what always. You doing down in, there? I mean, you didn't. <laughs> I didn't want to. I um, I was always active and um, in tune to politics from a young age. I was my my parents didn't understand why, and I don't even understand why I followed politics so closely, even as a teenager. So in November of 2016, and I woke up and Donald Trump was president-elect, I knew I had to do something more. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had met Stacey Abrams at a, um, a Black History breakfast at UGA. And I emailed her and I said, hey, I want to talk to you. I'm kind of thinking about maybe running for office if you don't have some – we can't identify somebody else. So I met with her and she said, I think you should run. I said, if you have somebody for this seat, I would a hundred percent support them. You know, if you find an Obama junior, I don't have to do this. This is not my ego talking. But at the time, our, my state representative was the representative for 16 years and no one knew his name hmm. at all. Okay. Um, he did nothing. Even, the uh, Republicans in my district did not like him, but no one ever challenged him. So I said, well, at least I will, I'll challenge him. So, um, of course, no one, there was no one else that st- stepped up, so I did. And if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it all the way. All so right. uh, we, we, uh, we had a big campaign. We worked every day from sunup to sundown. And um, the results were I won by 18 percentage points. All right. So I'm going to have to let you go the, there on the that one. That, yeah. Yeah. Georgia House. Yeah, Rep- okay. No, no, not, not, not. We hate to do this, but we are uh, short on time here. Georgia House Representative Shelley Hutchinson. We'll bring you back for, to the show. 
from Snellville, representing District 107. Thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate you asking me. We'll have you back. Okay, thanks. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is always Atlanta's choice for NPR, and I'm always Rose Scott. As we know, 2020 presented a lot of challenges to colleges and universities across the country. We know that. Why? Well, they're all faced with how the pandemic was impacting higher education. And joining me now to talk about how they have dealt with all this from Brunel University, Dr. Ann Sclater, president of the university. President Sclater, thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Oh, Rose, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's begin with the age-old question. Brinow, Brinow, because everybody I talk to pronounces it differently. (laughs) Yes, Uh, it is Brinow. All right, there we go. Now that we got that out the way. If I can tell you, it's two words. Uh It's the German word for wood and the... And in gold, so it's gold refined by fire, so that's why it's Brunel, but you got it perfectly. Well, I've been practicing all weekend, trust me. (laughs) Um, Let's just begin here and get your thoughts, because tomorrow marks one full year since the first coronavirus cases were confirmed here in Georgia, and, you know, then folks were starting to talk about, hey, we got to get tested. What do you make of all this, uh, this last year? It has been a year like no other, and I'm not the first person to say that, of course. Uh, I, I think what it did for us at Brunel is showed that we are, in fact, um, forged in fire and able to continue to be for 144 years tested by challenges from the external environment. So this isn't the first and it won't be the last, but I'm super proud of how our community has come is continuing to come through. We are not over yet. It is not over yet. No, and let's, for our listeners who may not be aware, uh, for your campus and the campus that we're talking about here in Gainesville, you all have, where are you now? Is it in person? Is it uh, a little bit of a hybrid, a mixture of both? Rose, what I'm really proud about is we are doing all of the above. And because we have about 25 years of experience in online, we're able to, we were able to pivot, but many classes are, partially in person, partially Zoom, partially online. And it's all dependent upon the preference and comfort level of the student and comfort level of the faculty member. And it just seems to be working in this way. But here's what's interesting also, um, Madam President, because also you're in a community, you're in the Gainesville community, which, as we both know, this is an area of Georgia that was hit hard by uh, the virus. So did that play a decision at all in your decision making about whether or not to, you know, allow all the students and faculty and staff to come back to campus? Right. Well, actually, Rose, we didn't allow everyone to come back to Mm -hmm. campus. So we're at about 30 percent of staff and faculty actually physically on one of our campuses, the downtown or the or the east or the or the or the historic campus. Mm -hmm. Our students are a mixture. And, you know, one of the things we learn because our we have a high proportion, we're a minority serving institution, high proportion of first generation, low income is that for some students being on campus was the best place to be. Mm-hmm. 
because it's hard to take classes at home when you have a lot of people, perhaps at your home, you don't have stable Wi-Fi, uh, and it may be that being on campus is what you need to do. So we really tried to meet the needs of students and the needs of, of our faculty and staff. So we are nowhere near 100% capacity. We're about 50% in our residence halls, mm -hmm. so that we have plenty of room to spread out should we have a case. Uh, and nobody is on top of each other. You mentioned that since you all have been offering online uh, courses, this was the shift for you wasn't as, I guess, traumatic or, 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 you know, didn't the challenges wasn't like it was for some other colleges and universities. But did you get any pressure? Did you feel any pressure from either students or the community to to either go one way or the other because of where you are and located in Gainesville? That, that's a great point. Actually, there were preferences on both sides. Mm -hmm. We had faculty who, who absolutely did not want to go online because they wanted their students to be with them in class. And we had others who had risk factors of their own family members, and they really could not feel comfortable being in a classroom. We have a lot of healthcare professions, it's very difficult to teach nursing online, yeah. uh, the hands-on part of it, or, or a physician assistant, or physical therapy, all of which we have, occupational therapy. So they have been super creative, as all of our faculty have, in figuring out what can we do, mm -hmm. what must we do face-to-face, -face, what can we do uh, online. Telehealth, telemental health mm -hmm. um, has been fantastic for those fields, psychology, et cetera. We know that the pandemic has has in a, a tremendous financial toll on many colleges and universities. Uh, how would you describe the financial health of Brunel right now? How have you been able to withstand this uh, financially? Yeah, well, Brunel is a, fortunately went into the pandemic as a very strong. Uh, financially strong institution. We have a lot of different types of students. Mm -hmm. So when we knew we were going to have to have fewer students on campus because uh, for safety reasons, for, for our culture of prevention, we knew that we had online students in programs already that would that would generally stay in those programs. So we fortunately have a lot of different student segments to help us, but it's a challenge every day, Rose. I'm not gonna, mm -hmm. I'm not gonna lie to you. It, 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 we're looking constantly for ways to continue to educate, continue to have that culture of prevention, continue to conti continue operations uh, and find ways to save everywhere we can. In some ways we're saving because we're not going on trips. We're mm -hmm. not, going on conferences. We're not hosting events. You know, that's sad that we're not doing that, but that does help balance the score a little bit. Um, but we were able to make it through last year in, in the black, and we're hoping that, you know, we're planning for this year to be the same. Here's a line that everyone I have a conversation with, particularly with presidents of universities and colleges, and they say, you know what, I'm going to, and even right down to superintendents, we're going to follow the science. I'm going to follow the mm -hmm. science. I imagine you all are following the science, but science has been changing. We have to be fair about that throughout this you last know, year. It has. And the way I like to think about it is the science isn't changing. Our understanding of the science is changing. So we're getting smarter. And I don't know about you, but I feel like I should get uh, some kind of epidemiology uh, graduate degree because <laughs> a colleague of mine said I'm a college president in the daytime and an epidemiologist at night. So um, we are following it. We, we call it our culture of prevention. Mm -hmm. So we started out day one masked 100%. We mm -hmm. started out day one distanced 100%. We started out with uh, hand washing. And then Hall County did a 
a new thing called Hall In, which is all three of those W's plus the flu shot. So we, we've we just been pushing that and pushing that. And, and frankly, we just had a discussion, do we need to talk about two masks? And came to the conclusion that we really want to talk about one snugly fitting mask. So we really are following. And fortunately, we have fabulous faculty mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and staff in the healthcare area in our COVID task force that are meeting weekly and studying this daily. Have folks been, uh, has there been testing available on campus throughout all of this? We are very fortunate, Rose, that we have a, a business in our business incubator mm-hmm. uh, that does testing. And so from the very beginning, we were able to, almost the very beginning, we were able to do testing that comes back in about 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And we do strategic testing and we do random testing. So you've had, and that's been a godsend. You've had no isolated outbreaks that that you know of we have had cases yes you've had Um, cases but oh yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but what happens is we have we have housed for example all the athletes in with each other so if there's a tennis outbreak then five tennis players are isolated together and they're not affecting the rest of the campus so there's Mm -hmm. been a strategy in our covid task force around all of those kinds of things but yes we of course have had faculty, staff, and students with COVID. As the vaccine rollout now includes another provider with Johnson & Johnson, uh, there are concerns that people might get a little lax and sort of, you know, let up their guard here. What concerns do you have? Well, I will tell you that I do a weekly video. We figured out that my colleagues figured out that I've done about a hundred of these. So I do a video every week. I did them almost every day at the beginning. And I end with the three W's, the flu. And now I'm, I'm doing a don't let up. We can't mm-hmm. let up. We, we didn't work this hard for an entire year to let our guard down now. And, you know, the fact that you get a vaccine does not mean you can't carry it to someone else. And mm-hmm. so we're trying to emphasize that. And I, I have seen such compliance on our on our campuses um, that I am hoping that this does not change as the vaccine as we have more and more vaccinated people on our campuses. Let's talk about when you are hopeful that you all can return to some on campus activities or look, we know what the big ones coming up, right? Graduation. You got to feel for so many of the students college, high school, what have you, kindergarten, who couldn't graduate, you know, in front of in front of mom and dad and big mama. But um, how how optimistic are you that at some point you all will be able to have some some event where you can invite folks? Well, we will have some event. In fact, our provost is finalizing with his faculty group um, a series of celebrations of graduation. They will be mass. They will be distanced. They will be limited in terms of how many of those relatives can come but it'll be live streamed um and we will we will do that this spring and then we will also have a whole series of end of semester events Mm -hmm. that we will just do differently as we've been doing other things differently um and we're hoping that this is the last one of those big event situations where we have to drastically change the way we do it let's talk about you as we end this conversation your leadership style and i've said this so many times i know there is no Nothing in the pan- in the handbook about how to deal with a pandemic on a college campus. I don't care I what anybody says. <laughs> no, <laughs> there's going to be one now. But um, how do you? How would you assess your leadership in all of this? And were there times where you just simply you were you were at a crossroads and you needed to to check in with other folks? How did you handle oh. all of this? I, Rose, that is such a great question. I would say we check. I checked in with my colleagues 
daily and definitely weekly we would sit down we still sit down we'll be sitting down tomorrow morning at nine o'clock and going through all of the updates and all of the decisions we need to make we even talk about the decisions we're not yet making and when we're going to make them presumably so i my leadership has has is a hundred percent getting the group together and getting the wisdom of the people in that room uh virtually um, it, it, at every turn, because none of us were trained for this. Mm-hmm. None of us were trained for this. Has this also, I imagine, impacted whatever strategic plan that you had for the future for this institution? By the way, you are the first woman to be the president of Brunel? I am. I'm proud of that fact, and I hope uh, I, I hope it's a, it's a good thing for our students to see a woman, it's considering we're still 75% women at the university, so. Um, yes. <laughs> The strategic plan is is alive and well. In fact, it's one of our many accomplishments of the year that I'm really proud of. We've moved, we're moving forward. We're looking at mission, vision, and our our major strategies. We, I mean, we just elevated our psychology school, the Darby School. Um, we're moving into the Renaissance Building, the Gainesville Renaissance downtown. We um, we launched a physician assistant program in January. Um, and I was elbow bumping with everybody over there because I was so excited. So we, we're continuing to achieve where our diversity, equity and inclusive excellence uh, process moves on and marches on. I just met with those folks the other day. So, you know, we have we have kind of a motto that we're going to continue business. Mm-hmm. We're open for business. Brunel's open for business, open for education. It's just we're doing it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And we should note, too, that last year, amid all the the protests and calls for racial justice and social justice, you were out there with some of the students. The students invited me on their walk to the square and um, allowed me to give some remarks. And I was happy to talk about our Brunel ideal, which says that we hate never and, and and we fear nothing and we love. And that is what I talked about. Dr. Ann Sclater is president of Brunel University. Dr. Sclater, thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. We've got to have you come back as as, as, uh, we continue to check in with universities and colleges. I would love to come back. Your show is great, and I appreciate being on it. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Take care now. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. 
local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.